they came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Now look what happens. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Sometimes demons know more than people do. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Now, here's the effect of this. Amazement gripped the audience. And they began to discuss what had happened. Well, I I reckon they did. Can you imagine that happening in church? What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. Notice, they remarked on the teaching first. Then they said, it has such authority. And even evil spirits obey his orders. And look what happened. Revival broke loose. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. That's a great story. Father, we thank you for your blessing tonight and pray you'll speak to us and build us up in the faith that is in Jesus. In his name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen, you're going to need this tonight. Hmm. All right, we're, we're, we're going to kind of hopscotch through the book of Mark. Uh, I'm not going to cover every verse or anything like that. I'm going to kind of like a rock skips across a pond and lands on the other side. We're going to go across Mark this way. And I want to just pull out the highlights and, and, and things that jump out at me as I'm reading the book of Mark. And, and um, it's an incredible book. We saw last time that Mark is the action gospel. It's the action gospel. He focuses way more on the deeds of Jesus than the teachings of Jesus. Brevity and conciseness are the way that Mark brought over his gospel. They are, it is, it is brevity, beautiful brevity, and very concise. It reads like a morning newspaper. I told you last week that it's one of the three synoptics, what we call the synoptics. And you ought to know what that is uh, because you're going to see it in your Bible. The synoptic gospels, what does that mean? It's simply Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptics. John stands alone. A synoptic simply means a synopsis of a life, a synopsis of something. Uh, So what you have with Matthew, Mark, and Luke is a synopsis of the life and the times, the ministry of Jesus. Matthew and Luke focus way more on teaching, mark on the action, mark on the miracles, all kinds of things he doesn't expand on that Matthew and Luke do. Now, we're going to be using these synoptic gospels throughout this series because uh, they, they give a different angle every one of them. Uh, you'll read about an event in Mark, and then you'll find the same event in Luke. But Luke will focus on something different. Or in Matthew, and Matthew will bring out something Luke or Mark didn't bring out. 
So I'm going to try to utilize the synoptics, the synoptic gospels, to milk these verses and these stories for everything they're worth. Uh, we saw last time that sometimes great blessing precedes a great battle. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes great blessing precedes a great battle. Uh, I learned a long time ago, if God really blesses you, He's getting you ready for something. Now, that's not to make you afraid of getting blessed. You ought to want to get blessed. But uh, sometimes God will bless you greatly to strengthen you and prepare you for a difficult hour to come. Now, the flip side is sometimes great testing precedes great blessing. We saw that in Mark, that you can go through a real trial. And what God is doing is He is tempering you, preparing you for a great blessing. Jesus faced the devil, his arch adversary, in a cosmic encounter in the wilderness. And these two cosmic personalities, that's what they were. Satan, the fallen archangel, Christ the Son of God, met in a showdown in the desert. More was at stake than we can ever imagine. Our salvation, our freedom, our redemption, all at stake. Satan trying to trip him up before he entered into his ministry, which was just around the corner. He was just about, as we're going to see tonight, just about ready to set people free, preach the kingdom. Right before his greatest blessing, Satan attacked him. And you'll find that principle true in your own life, that sometimes you'll go through a great trial and it precedes, it's just before God releases a great blessing. It says as soon as the devil was done tempting him, angels came and ministered to him. And I pointed out last time, he went into the wilderness led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Very important now, because I'm going to bring it out again tonight. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. The Greek language is very crystal clear here. He went in led by the Spirit. He came out in the power of the Spirit. And I believe that God wants us walking in the power of the Spirit. Jesus was a type. He was the forerunner, the firstborn of many brethren. We also saw last time that it is only in following Jesus in discipleship that we are changed into his image from faith to faith and glory to glory. I'm getting ready for this series on Sunday morning. When we look at The Apprentice, we're going to do a, a series called The Apprentice. And I'm going to talk to you about why Christianity doesn't work for some people. You know why it's not working for some people? Because they're not following him. They're not following him. Christianity is designed for us to come to Christ, be saved by Christ, and then follow him. He said to his disciples, follow me, and then I will make you to become. It is in following him that we become. Genomai is the Greek word. It's the same word that Satan used when he tempted Jesus. <clears throat> and he said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. He used the word genomai. In other words, genomai meant 
turn these stones into something they totally are not. Totally change them. Totally transform them. The same word is used by Jesus when he said, follow me, and I'm going to make you to become. I'm going to totally change you. Wow. I don't know about you, but I want to be changed by Jesus. I'm in hot pursuit of him. How about you? And I want to be changed by him. And see, that's the promise. Follow me. And I'm going to make you to become the same kind of radical change as a stone becoming bread. That's radical. Jesus is radical. We live in a radical world. If you're going to get radical, get radical with him. Amen? Now, using the uh, synoptics, Luke expands on this. Jesus said, I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. He emerged from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit He entered the synagogue and he taught. Now, I want you to watch this. He comes out of the the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He walked into a synagogue and he taught. And the Bible says Luke, not Mark, but Luke points out as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he quoted Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, heal the sick, bind up the broken in heart, so on and so forth. Now, when Jesus, when we're told by Luke that he went into the synagogue as his custom was, we're given a glimpse into what theologians call the silent years. We, we know a little bit about him as a child, as a baby. We know that he was born in the, in the manger. We know that Uh, They took him to Nazareth. We know that he was born in Bethlehem. We know that when he was around 12 years old, he was in the synagogue asking the doctors questions that just blew their minds because there's never been a more intelligent man in the history of the world than Jesus. He's the most intelligent man to ever live. And so as a 12-year-old, Here he is asking doctors questions and telling them things that blew their mind. See, Jesus didn't have an IQ. He created IQ. If you'd ever given him an IQ test, he'd have blown it off the charts. They would have had a meltdown on the spot. He's the most intelligent man who ever lived. Okay? We, We know these things about his childhood, but for the most part, they're called the silent years because we don't know anything else about him. But here we're given a little bit glimpse and we're told something. It was his custom on the Sabbath day, week by week, to be at church. And we also know that his reputation had to have been really good because they would ask him to read. And he would stand up and read the scriptures. He would play a part in leading in the services. Now, he was not a rabbi in the sense of a a priest in the synagogue, but he was a very respected, I'm I'm hesitant to say this, but it's probably right, layperson. Very respected layperson. Because he worked as a carpenter with his father, that is his named father, but not his real father, Joseph. 
because his real father was God. Now, in the synagogues of that day, the holy book uh, or the holy books were always read standing up. And they would either read from the law, which was uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, or they would read from the prophets. And when the person who was going to read the scriptures was asked to read, he would be handed what they wanted him to read. And so it was not unusual for the synagogue officials, if any stranger was present, who was known to be competent, to turn to him and say, would you do the reading today? It's just, I've done this before here in this church. You know, I may ask a David or George or, or Matt or somebody, would you stand up and read some scriptures uh, for the communion? And they get up and they read. But in these days, there was no New Testament. So they would read either the law or the prophets, and they would be handed what to read. And obviously, Jesus was well known in Nazareth, and he apparently had a really good reputation as a preacher, for it was his custom, his habit to stand up and read. Oh, what I would pay to be standing there just once to hear Jesus read. Can you imagine this? When he stood up in the situation we're going to look at tonight, the first time after he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, can you imagine over and over again the Son of God stood up to read on the Sabbath? And he would read out of whatever, Genesis, Exodus. He would read out of Isaiah, out of Jeremiah, out of Ezekiel, out of Daniel. And he did this over and over again. Jesus was a churchgoer. He was faithful to go to the synagogue. Now, it just so happened. Now, I don't believe in just so happened, but I got to say something, so I'm going to say it just so happened. Or God so ordered it. that on this particular day, now they've known him since he was a little boy. You got to get this. <clears throat> this is not a stranger. He lived there, worked there. They were very familiar with Jesus. He had read over and over again to them. He was an upstanding member of the community. But something has happened they know nothing about. He's been down to the Jordan. He has gotten baptized in water. When he came up out of that water, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. Then he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. He has just come back from a cosmic struggle with the foe of all mankind. He's walking now in something very different. He stands up to read like he had done so often before, but this time something is different about him. It just so happened they hand him Isaiah 9, or Isaiah 61 rather. Said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Catch this now. They didn't know what he had been through. They hand him Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And the Bible says that when Jesus read this, the eye of everybody in that synagogue was fastened on him. The difference was. The, the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit of God. 
What an incredible scripture to be given to read when it's you, Isaiah, was talking about (laughs) centuries ago. And now here you are, and it's the fullness of time. And you're reading Isaiah 61 all about yourself. And the eye of everybody there, they can't take their eyes off of you. They are glued. They are fastened, fixed on you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison doors to those that are bound and chained in sin to proclaim the acceptable. Then he closed the book and he said, today, this is fulfilled in your ears. Now, wait a minute. They, they, they go, huh? And, and the Bible tells us, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? What is he talking about? He must have lost his marbles. He's been working too hard. Too much sawdust in the brain. Uh Uh-uh. Mark tells us that they were amazed at his teaching. The Greek verb is to strike with astonishment. Jesus read Isaiah 61, then he began to expound on it. We don't know what all he said because we're not told in the Bible. But we know that he taught. We know that he shared. We know that he began to expound on this. And as he taught deeply spiritual things, they were amazed They were astonished. They were dumbstruck by the things that were coming out of his mouth because this is not the normal Jesus they're used to standing up and reading. Matthew tells us that Jesus went about all Galilee when he came out of the wilderness, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. But his first stop was his own home synagogue in Nazareth. Now, they said about his teaching, it's with authority, and he's not teaching us like the scribes do. Well, what did the scribes teach like? It was filled with tradition, empty tradition, that meant absolutely nothing. It neglected judgment and mercy and faith, and this Jesus told us. And they did not walk their talk. Jesus stood up and he began to preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God with authority. Something was very different. It was the power of the Spirit. It was his moment, his hour to begin. Now, the effect of Jesus' teaching in the power of the Spirit was immediate. Here's what happened. The Bible says a man with an unclean spirit sitting in church, sitting there probably every week, a man with a demon spirit, cried out saying, now, y'all, use your sanctified imagination with me for a minute. You're in church, you're in the synagogue, and you talk about structured, and you talk about ordered, and you talk about the same old, same old. You talk about something new never happening. You talk about old, crusty, dead religious tradition, and then all of a sudden, Jesus, the, the, the carpenter of Nazareth, known by everybody, stands up and says, today, this is fulfilled in your ears. And he began to expound beautiful spiritual truth. And suddenly, out of the crowd, one man says, leave us alone. 
Now we're moving into another dimension, not only of sight and sound, but mind. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. That's, that's the twilight zone. We're moving into another dimension because now you see Jesus is in the power of the Spirit. And he is, he is confronting and affecting and aggravating and intimidating evil spirits. So immediately, Mark launches us into the supernatural. This is now the supernatural. No more carpenter, no more same old, same old. Something supernatural is happening in church. The man was so absolutely in the power of this evil spirit that he seemed to dwell in him. As a matter of fact, the Greek reads this way, a man in an unclean spirit cried out. The original Greek uses en, en, in, a man in an unclean spirit. He was so possessed by this devil that he seemed to be swallowed up in this devil. It reminds me where John says in 1 John 1, 19, he talks about the whole world lying in the power of the evil one. And our world is in the power of the evil one, y'all. And the Jesus that I'm presenting to you tonight is the Jesus I want in church. I want this Jesus in church. I don't want a a traditional Jesus. I don't want a dead Jesus. I don't want a Jesus I've made up. I don't want a Jesus you've made up. I want the real Jesus, the one who stands and ministers to the people. So, so a man in an unclean spirit cried out. Now, I see several things in this story, and I want to bring this out. First of all, the cry from the demon erupted before Jesus even addressed him. This is the power of the Spirit. This is the power of God's Spirit when he moves. I had a lady tell me this week, when I walked into your church for the very first time and walked in the doors, I suddenly felt the Holy Spirit. Church, I got to tell you, and I want us to catch this tonight. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He came out in the power of the Spirit, and it was the power of the Spirit resting on him that did what we're going to look at tonight. The demon could not stand being in the presence of the power of the Spirit. This is why it's not that you got to have a bunch of money. You don't need a fabulous building. But what you do need if you're going to have real church is the presence of the Spirit of God moving in church. This is a fascinating story because the cry from the demon came out when Jesus was just reading the Bible. There was an instant recognition in the spirit world of the anointed Messiah. They immediately, it immediately everything transcended flesh and blood and it it was catapulted into the realm of the spirit world. Jesus and the power of the spirit and this man sitting out there tormented by demon spirits. And he said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Did this ever happen when Jesus stood up to read before? Never. Why now? 
because it was in the power of the Spirit he read, and it was his time to launch into his ministry. So Jesus immediately confronted evil spirits. The demon revealed the fate of all demons. He said, did you come to destroy us before the time? Wow. Mm -mm -mm. Now, I don't want to say that I could ever let a demon preach, but I got to tell you, this demon preached because, first of all, he said, I know that you're going to destroy us one day. I know that our days are numbered because you're going to destroy us. Did you know that the devil's days are numbered? And I'm talking about the real fallen archangel, not a silly little creature, the real fallen archangel, Satan, Lucifer, who has troubled the nations and rebelled against God, his days are numbered, and all of the demon spirits that followed with him. John said in Revelations 20, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a, well, I like that, shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. Right now, as we speak tonight, the nations of the world are deceived by the devil. They are deceived by the devil. But the day is coming when an angel is going to seize him, throw him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up. <clears throat> And this devil knew, here's the, here's the one who's going to destroy us when our judgment comes. It's going to be Jesus. That's why I tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you're under attack, I want to promise you for every devil attacking you, there are three angels on your side, plus God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And I want you to notice, this demon was terrified, terrified. So much so that he blew his cover. He blew his cover. I'm sitting in church. Nobody's noticed me. But here comes Jesus, and he's under such an anointing, I can't stand it. I can't sit here. I can't allow this person I'm inhabiting to sit here. And he blew his cover because of the presence of the anointing. That's why I tell you, if you're in a church where God is moving and you got a devil, you're not going to be comfortable. You're not going to be comfortable where the Spirit of God is moving. The preaching of Jesus had thrown the whole world of evil spirits into a state of alarm. They were terrified, absolutely terrified. Matthew tells us that as soon as Jesus emerged from the showdown in the desert, total pandemonium was wreaked on Satan's kingdom. Everywhere Jesus went, we're told he went about doing good, healing all. Can you say with me, all who were oppressed of the devil? So Jesus' ministry here in Mark launched out in its very beginning tells us something. That our real enemy is not flesh and blood. Our real foe is not human beings. But the real enemy is in hiding. The real enemy is stealth-like. The real enemy is undercover. And the only thing that really flushes him out 
is the name of Jesus, the power of God's Spirit moving, and the blood of the Lamb. But where those things are present and preached, they lose their cover. They are exposed. They are destroyed. They lose their grip. Satanic assignments are canceled where Jesus is moving. They were so terrified of him. Jesus said, the Greek word is muzzled. Be muzzled and come out of him. Now, I'll give you the revised Wickwire paraphrase. Shut up and come out of him. And the Bible says the demon spirit convulsed the man, cried out with a loud voice, and came out of him. Now, you got to imagine the people sitting there. You're talking about freaked out, baby. Because this all happens. They've never seen this before. And you know, when I read this, and I read about this demon convulsing him and throwing him down and coming out with a scream, again, going to Luke instead of just staying with Mark, Luke adds that when the devil had thrown him down, he came out of him having done him no hurt. So when Jesus delivers you, he's not going to let the devil hurt you on the way out. It, it did him no hurt. Now, several things strike me here. Let me just go over them for a little bit. First of all, let's just get right down to where you and I live. The devil, right here in this story, was totally comfortable going to church. Totally comfortable going to church until Jesus showed up in the power of the Spirit. He was totally comfortable sitting out there, totally comfortable while the Word was read by dead people who were walking in tradition and not life. He was totally comfortable. He was not stirred, not threatened, not intimidated, not anything until Jesus showed up in church, in the power of the Spirit. Now, saints of God, can I impress upon you how important it is in our day, <clears throat> our day of addictions, our day of the occult, our day of deception, our day when demonic activity is so rampant and so active. Uh, can I, I can't impress upon you strongly enough how badly we need the power of God's Spirit moving in church exposing the works of the devil, setting people free, snapping the chains, letting them go, breaking addictions, exposing deception. I mean, letting the prisoner out of his prison. This is what is supposed to happen in church. And it says that Jesus stood up and said, I have been anointed. I'm the anointed one. Now, when you read that word anointed, it simply means consecrated. In the Old Testament, kings, priests, and prophets were anointed. You remember when David was anointed by Samuel. Samuel called him forth and said, there's the next king, and he poured oil on him, and he anointed him. And that means that David was consecrated to be king. So, anointing means to be set apart for something. But power is dunamis. It is the ability to see supernatural miracles. Jesus was anointed to be the one to set people free. But it was the power of the Spirit where the job was done. You have been anointed to be a king and a priest under God. I want you to say with me, I'm a priest. 
You are a chosen generation, Peter said, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out people. So you have been anointed. You have been consecrated. But on the day of Pentecost, God gave the power to get the job done. And it's the power of the Spirit we need in church. It strikes me that this demon spirit wasn't threatened or disturbed at all until the power of the Spirit rested on the anointed one. You sitting there are an anointed one, and the power of God's Spirit is resting on you. And if we will walk in the power of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit will bring to pass miracles around us, because that's what power does. This synagogue was so dead, so lifeless, this demon spirit was right at home. I wonder how many demons are at home in churches all over America. Can I tell you something tonight? You know, I read a lot of history. I read a lot of church history. If you want to know what the devil's primary attack against the church in America has been, I'll tell you what it's been. It began around the turn of the 20th century, 1900s. The devil began to invade the seminaries, those that churned out the preachers. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was a movement called higher criticism. And higher criticism meant that you got into the Bible to pick it apart instead of letting it pick you apart. And everything in it became questioned. So that at the turn of the century, the seminaries that were supposed to be training preachers to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and see people freed and saved and delivered, and so on and so forth. These seminaries began to turn out preachers who weren't sure about anything, who thought that their job was to tell the people, now we're not sure if God said this or if God said that, or if he meant this or if he meant that. There might be two Isaiahs. We're not sure we've got the original manuscript, blah, 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 blah. And they came out ministering unbelief. And they began to multiply sheep after their own kind. It took about a generation until finally in America now, Many of the churches, I would say more than half the churches in America, and I'll bet you I'm not wrong on this, have thrown this out the window, have laid it down, and have said, don't believe it anymore, don't preach it anymore. My job is to stand up and give three points in a poem to give you a feel-good message, to tickle your ear, to make you feel good about yourself and about your sin and about your life. And I'm not going to use the word sin anymore, or cross anymore, or blood anymore, or salvation anymore, or certainly not hell anymore. I'm just going to give you feel-good messages. And what it's producing is churches the devil feels quite at home in. Come on, everybody. Quite at home. Because these rabbis of Jesus' day had long ago given up on the Word of God as being a viable source of life. And they had just turned to dead tradition. So all they had in there was death. And so demons were not threatened. And in churches all over Ireland and all over Europe, you're no longer hearing anointed messages in the power of the Spirit that set people free. And it breaks my heart, and I know it's got to break God's heart, 
But I'm telling you, here, and, 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 and I'm going to run with people too, who believe that God gave the church the power of the Spirit and the Word of God to preach in the power of the Spirit. And if we will do that, we will see the bound go free. We will see the deceived delivered and saved, and salvation will cover the land. Our nation needs a move of God, and it's only going to come this way. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How many of you are sick and tired of dry, dead, feel-good religion, and you want to see God move again? You want to see God move again? Jesus said that him casting out a devil was a sign that the kingdom of God had come. He said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So where the kingdom of God is present, demons are called to task and cast out and defeated, and people are set free. It was the word Jesus preached the devil couldn't stand. Suddenly the beehive of satanic oppression was stirred. You know, uh, on a Sunday morning when I can, am preaching the word, I can tell people who are uncomfortable. I don't mean to make them uncomfortable. I don't think that I do make them uncomfortable. But when I really get moving, I'm very aware in preaching the word. I see people fidgeting, and I can see them thinking, how do I get in here? Who brought me here? And if I can only get out of here this time, ain't never going to see me again. And by the end of the service, they're in the altar getting saved. See, because, listen, the Word of God meddles with your stuff. And when it's under the power of the Spirit, He's going to meddle with you, but it sets you free. It was the Word Jesus preached. There is a power in the word preached with authority. Say, so he doesn't care about platitudes, worldly opinions, good ideas. He could care less how educated you are, charismatic you are, intelligent you are, how much money you have, or how big your building is. He could care less. Doesn't bother him a bit. He'll sit in church very comfortable. But if you let somebody stand up and preach the word, oh, bar the doors. Remember that old commercial? And I'm going to close with this. The old commercial where there's a bunch of cockroaches walking around on the floor. And they're cartoonish and they're walking around chatting with each other. And suddenly their faces fill with terror. And they're shown, or we're shown, suddenly a can of rage. <laughs> and about the same time they all yell, rage. And they scatter. And here comes the can of raid walking up. Uh-huh. Now, it was that day, it was that way when Jesus preached the word. They were sitting out there just fine until he came in. And then they scattered. So, folks, the devil knows exactly who Jesus is. It's the power of the Spirit that did the work. And we have all been anointed, but we've also been given the power. And so we're going to see God move in the year of 08. Can you stand with me tonight?
I think it's interesting that a revival started from people who just saw what Jesus did. They went out and his fame spread throughout the land. His fame spread throughout the land. Mmm. It is one of my goals to make Jesus, Jesus, famous again. Not infamous, famous. I'm just going to let Jesus be Jesus. He can do it all on his own. But if you hang around here, you're going to hear Jesus preached every which way but loose. And you go out there and you get, you get people who need him. You get people who need him because our, our world's dying for him. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that Mark brought out, Lord, something so important, this encounter with the devil. Thank you that Jesus was anointed, but also received the power to fulfill the anointing. Now, Lord, we're all anointed, and we've all been called. But also, Lord, we've been empowered. Now, I want you to lift your hands up to him for a moment. Let me pray for you. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but let's just do it. If you want the Lord to empower you, you're, you are God's anointed. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Instead of rubbing physical oil on your forehead, He has rubbed the Holy Spirit onto you. And He's also given you His power. Father, I pray for everyone here tonight. The power of the Spirit will rest on this church, on this people. And I thank you, Lord God, for a church of disciples who are being changed. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. I just say, Lord, I receive this tonight. I receive this truth. I receive this word.